You can turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We're going to open up to Psalm 13 today. If you weren't here when um, we started and we had some announcements, uh, the bulletin is... Uh, was was printed before God's providence. Uh, pray for Pastor Don as he's down with a pretty gnarly cold. But today we're not looking at Romans. We're looking at Psalm 13. Please follow along as I read Psalm 13 to the choir master, a Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my own lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to Yahweh because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray. Father, we ask you for your blessing upon the reading of your word and upon the preaching of it. Help both listener and speaker alike in seeing your great kindness to us in times of lament and grief. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it might be uh, strange to see, but uh, the book of Psalms, which is a book of praises, has a few laments in them. Laments are prayers expressing deep sorrow, Deep grief, loneliness, loss, anger, fear, but also hope. And Psalm 13 is one of my uh, favorites of these laments because it's short. And though it's bitter, it's also sweet. We might wonder why does the book of praises have laments in them? Should not, as Mike pointed out in Sunday school, as Christians, should not we just live happy, joyful lives? Aren't things as now that we have come to Christ relatively uh, painless? Relatively speaking, I mean, we have our sins forgiven. We, are, we don't have any condemnation. Isn't, isn't life going to be fairly smooth sailing? No, as we all can attest. And as David attests here, our experiences tell us not only that, but the word of the Lord, that laments and times of sorrow loss are rather frequent and normal. Uh, and that, that can be encouraging because if you're living your life in the Lord and all of a sudden you're hit with this sensation of the Lord's anger, that's actually a fairly normal experience. And you don't have to commit the most grievous sin in the world to have that experience. 
we can look to the ninth chapter of chapter ninth chapter of John to be reminded that the suffering that we have or experience isn't necessarily because our own sin or our parents' sin. It's just for the glory of God. And so, you know, I, I heard Don wasn't able to go and I thought, well, what am I going to preach on? <laughs> and I, I enjoy the Psalms and I know there are some of us here today who have found, unfortunately, an all too familiar friend with darkness and with suffering. And so I, I pray that this will be an encouragement to you. I was preaching through the Psalms one day and um, some of our dear friends within hours were hit with the fact that they just miscarried and had breast cancer. Things like that happen in life. And you're kind of just going along in life and you think Monday will be the same as Sunday and Tuesday the same as Monday and things will go along fairly smoothly. And the next thing you know, you have the sensation that the Lord has forgotten you. He's hidden his face from you and you take counsel in your soul and you have sorrow in your heart all the day. But despite the suffering that we experience, the laments that we have, the laments ultimately do end in praise. Uh, you can think of a lament or a season of suffering as just kind of the intermission. If you've ever been to a play or a movie that was so long that it needed an intermission, and before it was done or the intermission came, there was kind of a a downbeat, something sad happened. You're at the lowest point in the narrative of this story. That's kind of like laments and suffering for the Christian. Ultimately, we will praise the Lord in glory. That's the final hope. That's our true conviction. But before that come all sorts of valleys of darkness, all sorts of suffering, all sorts of times where it feels like the Lord has turned his face against you or away from you. And, and that's a lament, a pouring out of the heart in true sincerity and also then boasting of what is ultimately going to take place. So thankfully laments are not as um, dreary in the conclusion as they are in the beginning. But as we walk through this, I just want to walk through this psalm showing that suffering eventually ends in praise, laments end in praise. The first point I want to bring up here is in verses one and two, and that notice that anguish arises from God's inactivity. The anguish in David's soul arises from God's inactivity, or at least his perceived inactivity. I'll read it again. He just says the first question, how long, O oh Lord? Ever pray like that? <laughs> how long, O oh Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted exalted over me. 
When the Christian believes God is inactive or away, anguish results. And that's a good sign. If God were to turn his face away from you and you frankly don't feel any different, that would be scary. The Christian lives based on one single thing. The Lord looks upon me favorably. So when David expresses this here, he is in anguish because he believes the Lord has forgotten him. Essentially, God has ceased to be God. This is the covenant God. This is the God who promised, I will be with you. I won't forsake you. Even my very name, I am, means I will be eternally existent. David is suffering at the thought of the Lord no longer favorably dispossessed to him. He says he is forgetful. God is forgetful. God is hidden and by consequence has left David to seek his own counsel to experience perpetual sorrow and to see his enemy boast over him. I'm sure you all have been in those days where the waves of sorrow happen again and again and again and again, and sleep doesn't even take them away. It's just a matter of the grace of God that would eventually cause that dreary cloud to dissipate where you can even properly think. But until then, you're just thinking with some of it a, a, of an obsession, I'm miserable, I'm miserable, I'm miserable. That's, that's David here. That's David here. He's in anguish because he thinks God has ceased being God. So naturally he asks, how long, how long, how long, how long? The, the Hebrews don't underline, they don't italicize, they don't bolden, they repeat. When they want to make a point, they repeat. Very, very rarely in the scriptures are things report, repeated four times. Very, very rarely. David is in the depths of despair. So he asked how long. He doesn't ask why. He doesn't ask why. Why, Lord? Why this? Why that? Why this person? As we talked about on Tuesday night, uh, Wednesday night in our prayer group last week, the why questions are never going to be satisfied anyways. Even if we did ask why. And David said, why, O Lord, why have you forgotten me? And God were to say, perchance, because it is in my good will. Do you know what David would still say? But why? <laughs> why doesn't satisfy why? He's not asking why. He's asking how long, which is a sign of faith. How long am I going to have to endure this? Which is a point to consider that the, the cause for lament, the sorrow, is temporary. We might have a, an idea of, okay, I've, I've suddenly become afflicted, and now I'm going to conclude this is now my lot in life. That's all. That's all I'm going to experience. I'm miserable. I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life. All right? No. No, we won't. The Lord will bring us out of it. 
But what is David's situation? We don't really know. And we don't need to know. The point isn't what situations do we need to avoid, right? The point is there will be times in which God seems or actually is gone. That he has temporarily removed himself. This might be by just David's perception or the Lord might actually, for some wise and good reason, remove his shining countenance upon the Christian. And that happens. And that's, that's normal in the Christian life. Confession says, true believers may have the assurance of their salvation in diverse ways, shaken and diminished by falling into some special sin, which wounds the conscience and grieves the spirit, or by some sudden temptation, or by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance. It does happen. But the confession goes on and says, yet they, the Christian, are never destitute of the seed of God and the life of faith. God's withdrawing of his face doesn't mean he's abandoned the Christian at all. It means in his good providence, he has done it for a reason. He may not share the reason, but he has done it for a good reason. And in the meantime, our duty would simply express that. There's no sin in asking how long. Do you ever really wonder how David or some of these psalmists pray this way? Doesn't it sound like it's offensive to God? Shouldn't our prayers be a certain way and order, you know, theologically right? Doesn't David know it's theologically wrong to say, Lord, you've hidden your face from me? Doesn't he think it's doctrinally wrong to think that the enemy is going to be exalted over him? Theological discourse and articulation isn't the point of prayer. The point of prayer is pouring out a heart to the Lord. To do otherwise is to put on airs and just to pretend and to be a Pharisee. But there's no sin in asking the Lord, how long? There may not even be a sin in asking why either, but there's no sin in coming to the Lord raw and sorrowful and speaking to him like a true friend and father. Because if the Lord has seemed inactive, that would be a proper response by a Christian. So that's what we first see, that anguish results when God seems to be inactive. It doesn't, things aren't clicking right, right? The next thing we see is that life and death are in the matter of God's face. Life and death are a matter of God's face. Look at verses three and four. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. 
there is kind of an underlying reason why David is praying this. The underlying reason, as mentioned in verse 2 and in 4, is that he doesn't want the enemies to get away scot-free. Anybody who's ever been sinned against and who just hates injustice doesn't want the enemy to get away free. That's, that's why when we watch a movie and the enemy wins, we think that's a horrible movie. It's not right. It's not how the world should work. And David praying this isn't just praying for himself, but David is praying this no matter where he is in his life. Ruling in Hebron, ruling in Jerusalem, young, old. He knows this, that the Lord promised that he will not, um, that, that he will have a son to sit on his throne. So when David is praying, my, my, my foes are going to win, my enemy is going to win, he is actually thinking, wait a minute, Lord, you're, you promised I would have a son to sit on my throne forever. This isn't just about me. This is actually about a greater covenant and promise that you've given to your people. So in this sense, David is praying in accordance with God's own revealed will. But listen, there's actually only one request in this prayer. We have many requests in our prayer. Lord, please do this. Please do that. Please don't do that. There's only one request. Have you seen that? Now, he asks questions. He states his confidence later on. He makes a statement about the implication, but it's all centered around his one request. What is his request? Consider and answer me, O Yahweh, my God. Light up my eyes. That's his one request. Light up my eyes. Enlighten my eyes. Is this a reference to David's own dreary countenance? Someone's walking around sad and dejected and their face tells it all. Is he asking the Lord to change his countenance? No, I don't think so. I think this is a reference to David asking the Lord to turn again his face to David and thus have his eyes lightened. You see in verse 1, how long will you hide your face from me? Everything for the Christian, for David, swings on this one idea. Is God's face against me? Or is it radiantly towards me? And that's eternal life. Is he angry with me? Or is he pleased with me? I think the, the ammo, the source that David is using here is the ironic blessing in number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you 
and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I think that's what David is drawing from. He is praying that Yahweh, who seems to have turned away from David, would turn back towards David and show him his shining face and thus lighten up David's eyes lest he sleep the sleep of death. Should God not turn his face back towards David, he sleeps the sleep of death, his enemies win, and his foes rejoice. Now this is David's situation, but is the Christians any different? Should the Christian worry here that God would turn his face away? In a minor sense, yes. Because when the Lord turns his face away, and the Christian has an experiential moment of what it means to be under God's disfavor, it's miserable. It's just miserable. We live for the pleasure of a Heavenly Father's smiling face, just as any child would live for the approval of their parent. Even bad parents. And that's sometimes even the saddest case. But the Christian desires in the deepest recesses of his or her heart to receive the Lord's face, to have a favorable disposition from God shining upon him. That is everything for the Christian. For the Lord to wisely and for some providential reason turn his face away and the Christian respond with, oh, oh well, I'm going to keep going on. That is a dangerous place to be. But you are in good faith and in good spiritual soundness if when the Lord turns away, you see that as my life is gone. My life is done. I'm going to die. My enemy is going to win. I am shaken. If we are not shaken to the core of the Father turning his face away from us, then we must have to wonder, do I even care of God's evaluation of me? So in a minor sense, there is a truth to this that we would care that the Lord would turn his face away in a major sense, ultimately, no. Because that, that turning away of the Father did happen for your benefit, but not to you. It's amazing how David speaks way beyond himself. Here's a king, okay? He's a powerful king, and he's talking like a little child. And yet he's talking beyond himself about his father turning away from himself. The reason why I say ultimately, no, it doesn't matter if you have experiences where the Lord temporarily removes his face from you is because ultimately the Lord Father has removed his face from the Son on the cross to bless you. 
There is another king in these six verses here where he had his father turn away from him in order to bless you. On the cross, that's, that's the crescendo moment of the son crying out to the father. And the father being quiet, pouring out wrath to bless you. So there are painful times when we're going about our Christian life and it just doesn't feel like God is around. He's gone. We should care because we love that countenance of the Lord. On the other hand, we don't have to ultimately be despairing because he has promised he will never ultimately do that because he did it one time against the son for your benefit. To hold these in tension, I would say this, and you might find it contradictory, but that's kind of how laments are. The Christian, when there is an occasional or a seasonal displeasure from the Lord, the Christian is both confident and desperate. Desperate to have that countenance back. The sun is shining, the flowers are budding, it's springtime, everything's happy and harmonious. On the other hand, desperate, I'm sorry, desperate for his countenance, but confident it will come. Ultimately, it will come again. So everything revolves around the Father's countenance. Does the Father look upon me with pleasure or not? If you're in the Lord, he looks upon you with pleasure because he turned away from his son. And even though there might be seasonal ways in which he turns away from you, it won't be ultimate. And he will return his gaze to you. And then lastly, in verses five and six, we see this lament conclude in praise. David says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We, ha- we must wonder, how do you even in the same breath pray verse one and then verse six? How do you go from, oh Lord, how long to the trial is so bad you don't even finish the question. It's just how long? I don't even know about what. How long? Two, ultimately, he has dealt bountifully with me. This is, this is the ebb and flow of the Christian life. Great moments of hallelujah, of praises, and bitter moments of pain as well. What started in despair ends in hope. The psalm is very short. David pours out his concerns. He makes one request about having his eyes lightened up again. And then he actually states confidence and hope. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. This isn't just positive thinking. 
This is, this is truth. Or you may say he's, he's preaching to himself. He says, despite my affliction, despite the possibility of my enemies rejoicing over me, I know this. You are a savior and I will sing to you because you have dealt bountifully with me. That all, all that other is true. I am miserable. It's a, it's a hard time right now. But it is also true that you have dealt bountifully with me. Unfortunately, we think they are mutually exclusive. There is no way under heaven those things can both exist at the same time. I'm either miserable and God's mean, or he's bountiful with me and I'm happy all the time. And it's both. And it, it's, not, it's not schizophrenia. That's, that's a Christian experience. That we have affliction and that we also have praise. Notice what David doesn't do here. He gets afflicted and he doesn't reassess all that he knows about God to be true. He doesn't put God in the dock and say, well, well maybe his promises were off. Maybe he isn't good. Maybe he hasn't dealt bountifully with me. Maybe I misunderstood that covenant. He doesn't re-examine what he knows to be true. We do that all the time. Affliction comes our way and we just think, okay, something's wrong. I've misinterpreted it. Let me reevaluate and reassess God as if I've never been proven, as if he's never proven himself over and over again to be true and good and wise and lovely. David doesn't do that. He doesn't judge the Lord by feeble senses. He asserts what he knows to be true. And that's, and that's not putting on airs either. That is pouring out a, a sincere heart to the Lord. Some of you might be thinking, why in the world are you preaching on 13? This is such a downer. <laughs> Some of you might be thinking, wow, I, I didn't even know the Bible has words for what I feel right now. Just take note of this. If you are in a spot where everything just feels serene and everything just feels nice, write it down, journal it, because you're going to have to remind yourself later <laughs> when things really hit the fan that God is still true, He's still good, He's still wise. He's still all-powerful. He's still omnipresent. He's still with me. And some of you are living 13 right now. And I would say, pray like 13. Pray like Psalm 13. Don't put on the Christian expectation of what a prayer should sound like, but pour out your heart to God in prayer. Speak to him as a father, as a friend, and pour out your heart. There is, just a quick note as we close here, there is an interesting dynamic taking place that because we, 
because we are Christians, because we have heaven as our destination, the pains of the earthly life really are just, they're going to be temporary and they're really not that important and they're not that substantial. But Psalm 13 reminds us that even though we have hope in the future, we have confidence that we will be with the Lord one day, pain in the life now actually is still painful. The Christian faith doesn't pretend to say, well, what I experience even though it's miserable and it is not miserable. No, the Christian faith says, even though what I'm experiencing is miserable, it isn't the final chapter. And so there is a reality in which we shouldn't just, we have to be almost convinced that it's okay to speak like this. We have to be convinced that it's okay to pray like I don't have faith. We have to be convinced that it is good to be honest to God in prayer. These are certainly smaller matters than heaven or hell, but they still are painful matters. You all know Job. Many of us wanted the the first bit of his life and the very last bit. But nothing in between, (laughs) Uh, even though it feels like we get mostly what's in between. But you know his story. Listen to how he talks. And, And maybe that's just what we need to take away. How should we talk to the Lord? Listen to how God, listen to how Job talks to God. Oh, that I might know where I might find him, the Lord. Oh, that I might know where I might find him. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. Where does he go? Now, this is the crucial part. Where does Job go after this? Does he just throw up his hands and say, all right, whatever. He goes on the next verse and says, but he knows the way I take. I don't know what God is doing. I can't see him. I can't tell how he's working in my life. But this is my conclusion. He knows the way I take. Faith isn't saying, oh, I know all the ways of God. No, faith is saying, I don't know all the ways of God, but he knows all the ways of me. He knows all of my ways. Think about that. I'm experiencing the most profound pain in my life. I don't know what is up or down, left or right. I don't even know if God exists, someone might say. But here's the conclusion. I know the way God takes. I know the way he takes. Pour out your heart to the Lord and lament and trust that praise will come. He hears his people. Let's pray. Gracious Father, your ways are beyond our ways. They are past finding out. Your ways are inscrutable. But we do not have to know every 
move in which you shift and take to believe in you, to have trust in you, to believe that you love us and trust and that we would entrust ourselves to you. It is that we trust that despite our blindness or despite our overwhelming sense of loss or suffering, you are still with your people in the fray. Even when you turn your back, you still are with your people. Build your people up this morning, I pray. Remind them, remind all of us, myself included, that your son has taken your wrath so that your face would be dispossessed to us, would be favorable to us. Amen.